Today, we discuss the Texan leaving the NCAA coaching ranks, Austin College's fall schedule, and a high school water polo standout making waves in the NFL. All that on episode five of the TX Water Polo Podcast. An ocean of powder and dust. Somehow it's, it's James Smith in Austin, and here's Joe. Hi, Joe. What's going on, James? Joe Linehan. I'm doing well. Um, the forecast is for 104 degrees by the end of the week, so I'm inside. Hopefully, you are too. Welcome to August in Texas, yes. Welcome to August in Texas. They, there was a warning put out by the local TV station today to not take part in strenuous activities. And I thought, we have outdoor practice in a pool, so we're a very good alternative to that. All right, we're talking about the weather, James. We're so. talking about the weather. This is Texas. It makes <laughs> a difference. People from outside Texas don't understand. They just don't get it. Maybe in the in the Midwest. But you're right. A uh, much more interesting piece of news is Chris Radmanovich. He stepped down from a very successful tenure as head coach at uh, at Wagner College, both men and women. His statistics for the women's team are actually pretty spectacular. Um, no, we, do, we don't know. The press hasn't reported, and neither is he about why he's left and where he might be going. Neither of those really matter at the moment because just simply going over perhaps a Texan's most successful stint in the NCAA uh, is at least worth consi- uh, worth mentioning. Yeah, Chris done a great job up at uh, Widener. It's probably one of the most successful outside of California NCAA programs. I mean, just this past spring, uh, I believe that they had wins or several wins over some uh, ranked teams, including um, the University of Indiana as well, which is a huge school, a huge program with a massive budget. And I mean, yeah, just uh, also why, uh, while Chris was up there, he also started the men's program as well. So I think he said what, like six straight uh, uh, MAC division titles. Six MAC MAC titles. titles. Yeah. Yeah. Three undefeated seasons, two NCAA tournament victories. He's had a, a really solid career. It's probably four undefeated seasons because I went and looked and he had one loss this year. Yeah, but it was a dual forfeit against Marist. And I think that was just uh, there were some weather issues and they and they needed to get home. So right. technically, I think this year was also a uh, um, uh, undefeated season, but it's not going to go on the ledger like that. So Right. Three time coach of the year in the MAC. He's. Um, um, and he's had an interesting career. He started, and you can fill us in a little bit on this since uh, you have a little more knowledge about it, but he's a Houston guy. He yeah. coached in Houston. Um, he's He's been in and out of the game. Um, he started at A&M and then coached in Houston and then moved on to California. Um, what is it that you recall from his uh, his time in, in Texas? I mean, Chris was, uh, I mean, he, again, he graduated in, uh, yeah, from Houston, he really was at AM. I think he's coached a little bit here and there in Texas. And then he, he really got to start coaching um, out in California under Mike Maroney. And he I kind of kind of Mike Maroney, who's another former NCAA coach that is from the Baytown area that uh, that really helped him get started out in Stockton, California. And he had a great stint out there for several years. He came back briefly and, uh, and helped coach the Viper Pigeons for a, a summer or two. And then he was able to get the job at Wagner, and he's just he just turned around that program, and it's just been so successful ever, ever since he went there. Yeah, really great. He um, he before then, I remember reporting in California at the time when I was reporting for Total Water Polo. He coached uh, the St. Mary's team from Stockton, which were 
considered really one of the <laughs> almost fearsome. That team was a team that people did not want to play, and they came to the Bay Area to play, and they, were, they, they actually drew a crowd because they were so physical. Um, I still remember that talking to parents who were, who were almost intimidated by that, by that very, very good team. That's around 20, 2009, 2010. One thing that I will always – I mean, I don't know Chris all that well, but um, one thing is he was always – like his teams were always very prepared. And yeah, and he's an intense guy on, on on the pool deck. I'm sure he's the same way in practices. His teams, oh yeah, were better prepared. He outworked everybody both in practice and on the uh, and on the recruiting trail. So I imagine that he did the same back at St. Mary's, yeah, kind of back in the day as well. Yeah, after working uh, for University of Pacific, like you said, for Mike Maroney, he he finished Wagner with 223 wins, which is. Uh, a record for the university um, or the college rather. Um, and you mentioned his uh, sort of apprenticeship under Mike Maroney, who is another Texan who made it to the NCAA level uh, at a, as a head coach at University Pacific. Um, and I think your paths have crossed um, much more than mine. Oh, I've known Mike for years. I mean, from like uh, basically the mid nineties, Mike again, grew up and graduated from Baytown high school just outside of Houston back in the mid eighties. And then he, and yeah, and then he kind of coached all over the place. Um, and then he ended up down in Corpus Christi and was coaching high school and yeah, in starting youth water polo down there. And then he was able to probably that. And he helped, and he then started the um, Hartwick college, a uh, uh, women's program. Right. Yep. This was back in the late nineties, early two thousands. And he started that and that, and that, and that program became a powerhouse of uh, uh, very quickly with uh, Mike at the reins, and then he went from there, um, and then he became the head men's and women's coach at uh, the University of Pacific right. back in the mid-2000s. And uh, and then he eventually went from the University of Pacific to coaching a local junior college. And a lot of people out there might say, oh, my God, that's a step down or, no. or what have you. But um, Mike, a long time ago, back at the USA Water Polo, kind of the annual meetings that we used to have back in the late 90s, he, yeah, you know, we were having a beer and he actually told me way back then, he goes, the best job to have is a junior college head water pole coaching position yep. because it is, they are, yeah, they don't come around very often. The pay is very good. Um, there is, there is very, there is not a whole lot of pressure yet to win except the internal pressure. But it is a job that you can keep forever. The like the benefits are great. The like the pension plan is great. So um, and that's what he's doing now up there for Mike. And and I and I know that Chris went up there, and I know that Mac or that Mike helped him helped get him started. But Chris made his own way. Chris yeah. Chris Chris made his own way and uh, and created a, a like a lot of very good success of yeah kind of for himself out there and. Um, what he's done at Wagner, I don't think anybody uh, would think that uh, that he would do that. So, and it is just a tremendous. It's I mean, it's a tremendous loss that he's not coaching there, but um, he has he has set up that program for years and years to be successful. So, one point about uh, those junior college jobs: when San Jose State reinstated their men's team, Bruce Watson had been an extremely successful junior college coach for some time. I think yeah, a lot of people would. And I, I think a lot of people would think, oh, well, it's an easy choice. You just move on to a NCAA, NCAA job. But um, from my understanding, it was not an easy choice, even though he's extremely tightly associated with that program. So he 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 left his um, 
West Valley job for that, and understandably, but those junior college jobs are choice. And yeah, I mean, and um, although it's better now than it was even a couple years ago, and it's ten times better than it was ten or I like ten or fifteen years ago. The I mean, the college coaching jobs out there. That yes, there are a few very good, high-paying college coaching jobs, but there's it's only a handful. Right. And the rest are you have to work your butt off, and you might do some other things as as far as club or some other side things as well. But um, they weren't the most high-paying jobs in the world. Now again, it's turned and it's become much better uh, recently. But uh, um, I mean. Yeah, the community college job, that is a tough gig to pass up, yeah. Well, well, what do you think – so th- th- we've just spoken about two Texans who have uh, ascended to the NCAA head coaching levels. Is there anything that you can talk about that you think impedes Texan coaches from getting those kinds of jobs? I don't think anything really impedes. I mean it's just um, – you know, it's the uh, it's the preconceived notions that people have out there, you know, you know the like – if if uh, if somebody's from California, they might be a, like a, a little bit more prepared, which I believe is uh, is exceptionally untrue. There are a lot of qualified coaches that that have been coaching a very long time here, and some good younger coaches as well. Um, Ali Hill down in down yeah just down in in your neck of the woods that coaches yeah for Longhorn was in, yeah was an assistant coach at UOP under James Graham and did a great job. And then she's had other opportunities out there, but. It's, you know, there is a, there's the, there's the pull of family. There's the, there's the pull of being back in Texas. And that's, and that is a very strong pull. And I've even, I've even kind of, of, yeah, I kind of felt that as well. I mean, I even coached NCAA water pole for five years on the East coast and, uh, it got to a point where I wanted to get back to Texas as well. So, right. Well, that's, I mean, that's it's, a- it, it, it's like leaving Texas is one thing, but then staying like, uh, Texas is, I mean, it's hard. I mean, it is the cost of living out in California is large, you know, like, do you want to pull up and go to a small school that you don't know exactly what's going to happen, et cetera. It is a tough gig sometimes. So. Yeah. Well, that experience is something that we should talk about briefly, uh, at least, or more than briefly when we get back, but, uh, it's a good segue because you have NCAA experience yourself. So you might be the third in this list of those who've ascended to top coaching jobs in the NCAA. So, We will talk about that and about the uh, Austin College schedule coming up next. Hi, I'm U.S. Olympian Janai Kerr, and when I need to stay up to date with my water polo news in Texas, I listen to the TX Water Polo Podcast. James Smith and Joe Linehan on the TX Water Polo Podcast, and uh, we're we spoke earlier about uh, Chris Radmanovich leaving his job at Wagner and his mentor in some ways, Mike Maroney, who was at University of Pacific for some time. But Joe, you have NCA coaching experience yourself. What what is it that uh, what is it that you recognize about these two guys that you experienced in your your period of time in the NCAA? Uh, just to let everybody know out there, I mean, I actually coached from 1998 to 2002, so it was five seasons in four and a half years. At the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, which was a Division three school on Long Island, up in New York, and uh, it was boys only. It's the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy is kind of like a small kind of version of the Naval Academy, and um, the only difference is like like people don't go there to work and go into the military kind of afterwards. They have that option, but they go there 
and they work in the transportation industry after they graduate. Um, but yeah, but, but yeah, but it was uh, regimented type student activities. So that's kind of what I I went to. I was 23 years old. Oh yeah, when I got there and got the job. Um, let's just like I think I mentioned earlier that you know things have changed a little bit. At the time, um, they offered me ten thousand dollars a year and a free place to stay on campus. There you go. And I was able to eat in the employee cafeteria along the way. So eventually that turned into a full-time job and I was teaching classes. I was also the assistant swim coach, but that was a great opportunity for me to go up there, experiment, learn, and yeah, and yeah, and meet people in the kind of, kind of not only in the, in the water polo world and college water polo world, but throughout like the country. I, I, I kind of learned the importance of recruiting and getting people out there and kind of selling the sport to people. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, it's expensive to live up in New York. Um, while, while I was up there, a local swim coach talked me into, uh, into starting a youth water polo program. And I still even, re- I even remember the conversation. Angelo came in and he said, hey, uh, coach, yeah, I have a bunch of kids. Yeah, yeah, do you want to start a youth program? And then in the back of my head, I was about 25 or 26. I go, oh, like, you know. I'm a college water polo coach. Right. I'm not a, oh yeah, and, yeah, and I'm not a youth water polo coach, but we started a program. First practice, we had six kids, six. We had a sixth grade girl and a 12th grade boy and six total kids. Year and a half later, we had 125 kids in the program. Nice. And I also started doing some camps back at Texas A&M during the summer to kind of, uh, like the concept was instead of, instead of the kids going off to the college camps, the college coaches were going to come to the kids. And the first year we had about 60 kids at the camp. The second year we had 200 plus kids at the camp. And I just realized that there might have, yeah, there might be a need for more water pole yeah, down here. So, and after the fall 2002 season, I packed up um, and I moved to Houston and yeah, and yeah, and tried to start youth uh, like age group water pole. Not that there was stuff not going on there. There was a lot of high school. There was there was some summer league. I just want to create that year-round youth water polo, and that's what I did back in back in 2003. Well, yeah, that and and the fact that the, they could not really put together a package that would that would lead you to want to stay in New York, and you saw this opportunity in Texas, and you wanted to come home, and probably the family ties and so on were important well, to you. Well, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's one of those things where you know every school is going to be a little bit different. Like I tried to get a women's program started there, and that and that and that and that wasn't going to happen. Um, we were very successful, like. Before I got there, the year before they were one in fifteen, and then my first year, I I got the job in like July, and we started it in August, and I had one kid that played high school water polo on my team my first season. So again, I learned the value of recruiting very quickly, right? And uh, and we recruited, we got better every year. And my last year there, you know, you know, we beat the Air Force Academy, Brown, Bucknell. It was uh, very it was it was very successful um and at the time you know we were a division three school we were the only sport that was playing division one teams at that school yeah which and, is a lot of people don't understand like division three schools playing in water polo play division one schools all the time yeah, this and, it's not as though they're separate and then so it was a combination of i started to really enjoy the youth water polo aspect i saw that there was a need back in texas 
and also my administration came to me and said that they wanted me to play less and less division one schools. Why? They just, I don't know. Um, they just didn't want me, uh, they did not want the program playing the other, like the other sports. So, you know, interesting. it's one of those things where there's, I'm sure they had their reasons. I didn't necessarily want to go backwards. Right. Exactly. And was it, um, I, and again, I, I wanted to keep moving forward. So, um, and I thought that I really liked it and I really enjoyed like the youth water polo aspect of it. Right. And the one thing that I've loved about the youth water polo aspect is, you know, with college water polo, you can have about 20 kids on a team and then you can help them out. Then you're going to lose some each year and then you're going to recruit some. Then you're going to meet a whole lot of kids, you know, throughout the. Uh, um, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, throughout the year during the recruiting process. But with youth water polo, you, you, you get to see the kid that starts at age nine and go to 18 and, uh, and, kind of, and kind of see them grow and learn. And in my mind, I just I had a lot of opportunity to, yeah, to make a lot more significant change in the sport with athletes in general and, uh, and specifically with uh, with the youth water polo. So that's right. why I kind of turned and kind of uh, and kind of started moving in that direction. All right. Well, you're. Your timing wasn't exactly right because now there's an NCAA program in Sherman, Texas. It's the only one. It's been uh, that's that's existed in the state since about '78 when Texas A&M got rid of theirs, and um, they have released their schedule for the upcoming fall season for the for the men. They start their what do they call it now? Challenge week on the 21st, um, and not it's not even a month or well it's a, it's a month before they head out to Annapolis um, to start their season. Um, it, very interesting schedule. They got uh, they have a lot more games this year. Plus, they're uh, they have the MPSF championships, of course, at the end of the season, which is a, a point of discussion, of course. But the they're also playing in Pittsburgh for the Division Three championships, which the women did so well uh, at this last season. But games against um, Princeton, Cal Baptist twice, Pacific, Santa Clara, uh, and then teams that I think are more beatable. They're playing the, the the new program out of Ottawa, um, Arizona, Johns Hopkins, LaSalle. Um, some winnable games for these guys who, uh, you know, had us. They, they're a young team that struggled last year. They won one game, but this year they're, they have a new recruiting class that's uh, spanning the entire country and obviously players that have matured. I don't know if they struggled necessarily. I mean, they had, what, 21 kids on their team, of which 19 were freshmen. Right. So, I mean – they were competitive in, in a lot of games, you know, um, and they had their moments in games, and I think they got better each and every weekend. Um, I mean, injuries, I was, too. I mean, I mean, yeah, like there's always going to be the injuries, but it's one of those things where I think they had a very successful first year. They won a couple games. I think they won one. Was it one game that they won or two games? Yeah, they beat Monmouth. And, and uh, what is it? Um, and I think that they were competitive in, in a whole lot of games that they should not have been competitive with. Sure. They, yeah, but they may have been able to, to kind of stay with them for two or three quarters, but the whole four quarters, that yeah, I think that's going to be their major step this year is those games are now going to be competitive yeah, the entire time, and I fully expect them to get over the hump and win a lot of those games this year. Yeah, those, so, those games last year against those uh, strong teams, Brown, 
so on are obviously are going to sharpen their skills for this coming season. They're playing Navy. Um, they're obviously going to play the MPSF teams, which is going to be difficult by de- just by definition. But there's no question that they're going to be better prepared. And again, they had some pretty key injuries last year. They were missing out on some players that, that presumably they're not going to experience this this fall. Well, I well I also think that they have like like you know they had their 19-20 freshmen last year, but they also have another whole group of freshmen this year. And that's just going to help. That's just going to help with their depth. That's going to help with their daily, um, like their daily intensity and in practice, the competition for playing time. And like, you know, and I expect, I expect some very good things from them this year. And, yeah. I, and, and, and I think the coaches expect the same. I, I so, think so I mean, too. I mean, and I'm looking forward to watching them play. Um, was it? I know that they're working on getting some home games here and there over the next couple of years. Right. And I'm and I'm really looking forward to seeing them play, compete, and just get better each and every year. Yeah, we're gonna try to talk to Coach Mark Lawrence next week for next week's podcast, and it sounds like he might have some interesting news about the coming season and the one that follows as well. So we'll catch up with him then. Um, in the meantime, we're gonna take another small break where you're gonna pitch something to you, and uh, we'll be back with some other short items. Have you noticed that there are no advertisements for dental care or online recruiting services on the TX Water Polo Podcast? Same with the website, no pop-ups, no banner ads. Well, we'd like to keep it that way, so we're asking for your support. Your donation will help us with new equipment, better sound quality, interesting writers, and maybe even improved podcast hosts. So to help us expand and improve our coverage of the sport and state we love, go to txwaterpolo.com forward slash donate. That's txwaterpolo.com forward slash donate and be sure to subscribe to the pod on apple google stitcher spotify or radio public and give us a good rating if you like what you hear all right wrapping up this week's tx water polo podcast it's james and joe um a couple of short items to cover one is uh i wrote a story a couple days ago about kahale waring who is on the roster for your favorite nfl team the texans he's their third round draft draft pick from this this uh, past season's draft or this past April's draft, um, but he played water polo in California at Sonora High School up in Central California, and he was an all league goalkeeper and claims that it was actually quite helpful to his his football career. Well, I'm sure it's some good it was some good cross training for him, and uh, was it a um, I was unaware actually that he until I read your story that he was. Uh, uh, that, yeah, that he had a water pole background. And yes, the Houston Texans are my favorite NFL team. So yeah, yeah I'm here to inform you of these kinds of things. He was uh, featured by John McClain, who's really one of the most well-known sports writers in, in the entire country, called him a, quote, fascinating prospect. And I think the Texans actually believe that he could fill the role of Owen Daniels, who's been their best tight end uh, in history. But um, what uh, Waring has told uh, the column uh, told uh, McLean was that basketball prepared him probably the most for the NCAA, but water polo with its athleticism and hand-eye coordination and toughness, which is right, um, helped him a ton. The guy's such an athlete. He he was uh, the league MVP for his high school for basketball. He was all league in water polo. He was also um, on the swim team and the cross country team. He played one year of high school football only because his water polo buddies had all graduated. So he decided to move on to football and then got a walk on opportunity at San Diego state to play football. And here he is now he's a third round draft pick. Probably be interesting to find out how much his, uh, his rookie contract is worth. 
Well, I mean, he's a third round pick. So, and relatively speaking, it's probably not as good as what it is. But um, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm going to be watching him a little bit closer now. And that's one thing that Waterpole is missing necessarily is that great athlete. Don't get me wrong. We have some great athletes in Texas and throughout the country that play water polo. But it's that influx of a consistent good athletes coming into the sport. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, like like you know, back in the late '90s, early uh, that that kids were starting water polo their freshman year of high school. And we need to. Uh, I mean, and nowadays, you know, like like oh, we have ten unders at JOs and twelve and unders, and we have teams from the Southwest Zone going out there. And it's almost like it's a race to get the kids introduced. You get out of the sport of water polo as quickly as possible before they, tr- yeah, just before they might find a basketball or football right. or swimming or what have you. And, um, and that's, and that's, and that's, and that's one of the keys. And I mean, that's one thing I've seen in Texas over the years is the number of good athletes that are playing the sport has gone up and up and up and up each and every year. Right. Um, and that's, and that's, and that's what it's about as far as getting the good athletes and then they get their buddies to come out. And that's, and that's one thing that we've been trying to sell to all the, all the like the high school swim coaches as we go to the sport at the high school level is it's an opportunity. Like, you know, you can use water polo to help grow your swim team by bringing a different type of athlete over to the pool. Well, not only that, but we have our own selfish interests as water polo coaches. We want them to play as much as they possibly can. But in truth, I mean, let's just talk about Zach Lowry, who's one of your guys who's at uh, Cal Baptist now. He started as a, a as a football player before he started water polo. And you can tell from the moment that he was in the pool, even though he might not have at the time been the strongest swimmer, that he had these instincts and these uh, mannerisms that you just can't get without having trained in some other sport. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Zach, I mean, I mean, Zach was a good case. I mean, there was a couple kind of fall seasons where he didn't play water polo in seventh and eighth grade, but, and that was because he was playing football, you know, kind of, kind of for school. And there was a couple, like, he wasn't quite sure if, if he was going to go down the football, basketball route, or if he was going to do the water polo swimming route. And I mean, I think he's very happy that he chose water polo swimming route. I mean, I've had, uh, I, I've had, the other athletes like Zach and Zach and Spencer Shelley, they came yeah, yeah, the pool and they were in tank tops and board shorts as like an eighth grader and a sixth grader. And they came and they could swim. Okay. But you know, but they had done a lot of other sports. So we introduced them. Yeah. The game and we, and they, they picked it up. They became pretty good swimmers. And Spencer Shelley right now is yeah is uh, one of the best players in the state of Texas. Um, he's being recruited by a bunch of different schools to go play the Air Force Academy, yeah, like the Naval Academy, some schools out in California. And he's and I mean he's going to be a next level athlete. And he was and he's one of those true kind of next level athletes that you that may not have started as a young kid, but he found the pool. So. All right. And he's in uh, Hungary and they're in Barcelona. The, the futures program, USA Water Polo's futures program is in they're both uh, Hungary and in Barcelona right now. Um, he's out there with Chris Cullen, who we spoke to last week about this uh, program that's in place and who will begin playing matches that mean something at tournaments at a couple tournaments on the 10th. And we will be uh, reporting on that when they take place. Um, yeah, so so like you know to get back to the NFL thing, who is your team, James? 
Well, I'm a pathetic Oakland Raiders fan. And actually, this is the degree to which I've stopped being an NFL fan. I actually don't care one bit that they're moving to Las Vegas. And I was a gigantic Oakland Raiders fan, even when I lived in Southern California. I wanted them to move back to the Bay Area. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, I was a, I grew up a Houston Oilers fan, so therefore my two favorite teams growing up were the Houston Oilers and whatever team played the Cowboys. Yeah. And so therefore I am an anti-Cowboy fan. I, I know I live in the DFW area, but um, it makes for some very entertaining sports talk radio whenever the, yes. like, the Cowboys win or lose because it's either if they win, they're going to go and win the Super Bowl. If they lose, they're going to fire like like all the players and coaches and stuff. So, but uh after the Oilers left and went to Tennessee, um, there was a couple years there. But I still, as soon as they announced that the Texans, yeah, 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 we're coming. I'm going to be a Texans fan. I still, I still remember. I was up the up at the Merchant Marine Academy and sitting on my couch, and I still remember the Texans uh, beating the Cowboys in their first ever game, and that was back, I guess, the year 2000 or so. Wow. And uh, so then it was kind of about 10 years of bad of bad football after that. But that's okay. Um, I am. I still remember going to the Astrodome and going to the Oilers games and Astros games and stuff as a kid. So, so are you saying that uh, if the Raiders had successfully fleeced the town of San Antonio to move their team there, that you would have become a Raiders fan? I would say that the Raiders have successfully fleeced the town of San Antonio <laughs> on multiple occasions <laughs> and using them uh, as leverage against L.A., against Oakland, <laughs> against Las Vegas. But, uh, yeah, I, I lived in Houston until I was in third grade, and then I moved to San Antonio. So I'm an Astros, a Houston Astros fan, a Houston Oilers fan, and then a San Antonio Spurs fan. Well, all right. Well, just win, baby. Um, let's go. move on. To, speaking of which, uh, the women just completed a demolishment of uh, another of the, the Venezuelan team at Pan Ams. The men beat Canada uh, yesterday afternoon, and those games are available on um, – are they available no, they're not. And you can follow their progress mainly on Twitter. At least that's where I'm finding it, where USA Water Polo is putting out a whole bunch of information on what's going on at Pan Ams. And they say that uh, there may be some streaming uh, of these games at the end of the tournament. We shall see and we will share that with everybody. Yeah. And then um, I'm, I'm I'm also hopeful that they'll like you can go to USAWaterPolo.org and kind of and kind of follow along the futures teams and the youth teams and stuff like that that are playing. They, I think they get started later this week. So Yeah, yeah, 10th. And I agree that you and I spoke about this off air, but uh, the, we don't know whether they're going to stream these games. It's a very good point. And once we find out, we will share that as well. Sure. Yeah. All right, great. Well, that's it for us this week. Uh, just a reminder that uh, we want to hear from you. We've heard from many of you. It's been really good. Um, but continue to do that. Let us know what's going on in the Texas water polo scene. And you can reach us by email at pod at TXWaterPolo.com. On Twitter at TXWaterPolo. Facebook TXWaterPolo. Instagram TX underscore waterpolo. And on the web, of course, at TXWaterPolo.com. And we are looking for you musicians. If you want to contribute music to the show, we'd love to hear from you. Once again, you can reach us at pod at TXWaterPolo.com if you're interested. We're done. Thanks to our hosts, Red Circle. And thank you for listening and telling a friend about TX Waterpolo Pod. And we'll talk again next week, Joe. Thanks. All right. Yeah. Take care, Jim. Too. Closer to me.